Hey, before we get started today, really quickly, this is a message from one of our workshop alumni, a guy by the name of Matt McGee. He's from Seattle. He works for a 300-person software company called Homelight and runs their podcast about the real estate industry. And uh, he recently took the Showrunner Sessions. These are our online, interactive, cohort-based workshops. And here's what he had to say about the experience. The biggest concern I had before the workshop was how relevant and helpful it would be to someone like me who has an existing show and has been doing podcasts for a number of years. I guess I was afraid that I wouldn't get much out of it that I could use and apply to the show that I'm doing for my employer. Turns out, that was completely unfounded. The workshop helped me describe the show's premise and purpose in a way that makes a much stronger connection with listeners. So I think now someone in my target audience would listen and say, yes, I want to keep listening to this. I'm on board. I think I have a better understanding of where a show fits and how a show fits inside a company's business goals and how it can help reach those goals. So the workshop helped me see all this differently. It also, I think, gave me the tools and the right language to share that with my coworkers and superiors. I hope you'll consider the showrunner sessions. Enrollment is now open for our fall 2020 session. Come learn how to use a show to inspire, rally, grow your community, and spark change. Visit marketingshowrunners.com and click workshops at the top to enroll today. Hey, I'm Jay, and you're you. I don't know you. Not because I actually don't know you. I mean, there's a chance I do. It's just that I can't see you right now or hear you. Watch. Let's do an experiment. Wherever you are, just stop what you're doing for two seconds and say out loud, Hey, Jay, can you hear me? Did you, did you, did you do it, weirdo? So I, I don't know you, and if you actually did say that out loud, I'd, I'd probably want to avoid you. But in, in this moment, right now, I do know one thing that's inevitably going to be on your mind, no matter who you are. It's the same thing on every listener's mind. My listeners, yours, the same thing will be on everybody's mind the moment they opt into any experience. It's a big question, what I'd call the critical question, driving your show, and more importantly, the relationship that your audience has to your show and to your brand and to you. The problem is we almost never craft our show with this question in mind, and so we fail to answer it. Whoops. I want to know how to do the things you do. A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. Hey, once again, I'm Jay Akunzo, and 3Clips is part of Marketing Showrunners. We're a media and education company which helps makers and marketers elevate their voices and make a difference through the shows they create. Okay, so let's go back to that critical question that we so often don't answer. I like to imagine that somebody's peeking over my shoulder, asking it every time we make anything, an episode, a whole show, a new show. The question is this, from the perspective of your audience, they're going to ask this, what will be different when I'm done? What will I be able to do or think or make or say? How will my world be different? What will be different when I'm done? If you answer that, or at least keep that in mind when you make tiny choices up to the big ones, your show will be fundamentally better. It can transform the experience 
that you're creating. See, I think of a show like a journey towards something better. And that's why I keep saying, don't make a show, make a difference. What difference are you trying to make in making this show? If the goal is, well, we're trying to drive leads for the business, or we're trying to do a podcast because podcasts are a trend, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're actually hurting your own cause when it comes to making the show for any internal purpose, because you're not focused on an external purpose at all. What will be different when I'm done? The show we're going to dissect today is really, really great at understanding why it exists and what will be different if you were to listen. And so often it has to do with one very specific part of the show, the premise, the angle, the concept, the conceit, the unique way you explore your topics. It's not just what you explore, it's how you explore it and why, because that gives the audience a reason why they would care. What will be different when I'm done? So let's talk today to Ben Battaglia. Ben is the director of marketing at a company in Indianapolis called Lessonly, which sells training software, an internal tool for organizations to train their sales and customer support teams. And recently, they decided to launch a new show called Practice First. It's a really refreshing change from the usual B2B podcast, and there's a lot we can learn about how to answer that critical question by listening to Ben and my conversation. So I hope you enjoy this dissection of three little pieces that reveal a whole lot from Practice First and Lessonly. Now here's my conversation with their director of marketing and one of the show's creators and co-hosts, Ben Battaglia. Ben, why build Practice First? We built Practice First because we believe that practice is an underutilized aspect of business. And so you think about great people that practice. Maybe you're thinking of athletes or musicians or chefs, but we don't often think about practice in the business world. So our goal was to build a podcast for people who work in more of a traditional nine to five office setting to encourage them to look for ways to practice in their business. So uh, whether you're a business leader, whether you're an individual contributor, we believe that practice can be valuable to you and your team. And so we wanted to tell some stories of people who uh, were adjacent to business, so not part of the business world, but we could draw lessons from their practice to help build better teams. Why talk about practice? You know, this is a concept-led show. There's a distinct premise. You could have another version of the show where you just interview people that lead the teams into which you'd like to sell your product, right? So why have this concept lead the way for your show? Why talk practice? So some of your listeners may know that we make software for training, particularly sales and support teams. And what we realized is we were out there selling products with the word learning. And the teams that were having the most success or growing the most or seeing the best results were not the teams that were just learning, but were the teams that were designing ways to practice. For example, rather than just learning about how to run a great first call as a new salesperson, if you could go out and do five practice first calls and get feedback on them, you were far more prepared to be great at what you do. And so that's something we've really leaned into in our product is figuring out how can we not just teach people or help them learn, but help them practice. We want to elevate the status of practice in the business world. And this podcast is the first step in doing that. It makes so much sense when you break it down that way, but I think it's it's really elusive, surprisingly so, to a lot of organizations where the show they're creating becomes generally about the topics. 
You know, it's like, what do we talk about? We talk about this list of topics. You know, we blog about these topics and it's a category based show. And the premise of the show, I guess, is all the things that we discuss. It's what we talk about, not necessarily picking an angle or picking something narrow and really, truly, deeply explore it and own it and take your audience on a journey to understand it. Because, you know, I think the more you do that, the more your brand becomes intimately associated with an important concept like practice. So, you know, you're not only making a difference for your audience, but you're making a difference for your brand. You're making all the rest of your marketing and sales work harder because of your association now with this term and everything you uh, mean when you say practice. So I guess the question here is, how did you as a marketing leader access that insight at your company that, oh, wait, our most successful customers are thinking about and talking about practice. So we need to own that idea. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, part of it is product usage. So seeing, hey, the customers that are growing their accounts, that are delivering better results, that are having better QBRs with their customer success manager, their account manager, uh, they were the ones that were using our practice tools. And then it was uh, feedback from customers to say, hey, this is what we want and need as we talk to our customer advisory board or to prospects in the sales cycle, that they were finding this this idea of practice was ringing true to them. And to your point, that's kind of why we want to create this show. We believe that practice is the future of being prepared for work, for having the skills you need to succeed. And so we'd love for everyone to start thinking about Lessonly right away when you start thinking about this idea of practice at work. The question that's next in design thinking is, how will we know that this is working? And I'd love if you could address this, not necessarily from the angle of internal common marketing metrics, for example, downloads, but how do you know that this is actually helping people you're trying to serve practice better or practice more? How do you figure that out? Like, this is about impact. How do you know that that it is working out in the world? In terms of measuring broadly the show's success, uh, we looked at each other across the table, my CMO and I, and kind of said, this first season is a bet. We don't we don't really have clear metrics. We're not going to get to episode 12 and say, only a thousand people listened, we're out, or whatever the metric is. Uh, we said, this is something we care about as an idea. And regardless, if a hundred people listened or a thousand people listened, this is worth us doing in this season of our company. But then to your larger question of how do we know that this brand idea of practice is catching in the world? I think the biggest way we know is product usage and people who are coming to us and buying our software. We are learning practice products are two separate products. And so if people are coming to us and buying more practice or interested in talking to us about practice, we know that our ideas are starting to catch on. And that's really the, the reason I asked that question that way. I think, Ben, it's part of the problem I'm seeing with a lot of brands measuring their shows is they're not really looking at are the ideas in the show catching on? And like is, you know, they're not they're not measuring impact, essentially. They're measuring totals, which is, I guess, in some regards, a proxy for impact, because you you assume, well, if we reach enough people, we'll impact more people too. But I think that's still a, a distant proxy. It's like saying, you know, if I'm if I'm shouting at enough people, some people will heed the words I'm shouting. And it's like, well, you're better off maybe looking at whether or not they're actually heeding your words. And it's just the problem is you have to be a participant in the community to really see that. You can't just like generate a chart somewhere. So I don't know if you've you've encountered the pains at all of podcast measurement, but there are plenty. Yeah, absolutely. We said that some of the best metrics are going to be relatively unquantifiable, like how many salespeople are coming back to us and mentioning that this podcast came up on their show, or how many 
SDRs are sending it to prospects and prospects are listening and that's starting a conversation. Way more of these intangible conversation starters that you're right, you have to work at Lessonly and talk to these people every day to get the feedback. But those markers, those breadcrumbs over and over again, those are the things that help us know we're building something meaningful. And that's more meaningful to us than X number of listeners. Let's go to the first clip. And so just to give context to this, um, I actually pulled the way you and your co-host set up every episode as the first clip. So this this happened to come from your episode where you spoke to a sommelier, and we want to talk about that individual, and we'll hear more clips from this same episode later in this episode of Three Clips. But for now, I want to play the kind of opening sting leading into the first words from, in this case, a sommelier. So why don't we go to that really quick? This is Practice First, the podcast where we talk to some of the world's greatest practicers so that we can learn lessons about building a phenomenal team. I'm Ben. And I'm Connor. In our work at Lessonly, we've helped millions of people learn and practice at work. What we've realized over the years is that most of us grossly underestimate the value of practicing. So come along as we meet extraordinary people from Olympians and circus performers to sommeliers and chefs as they teach us about practice and how we might apply it to our daily lives. Join us for another episode of Practice First. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We're excited to welcome Jason Williams to the Practice First podcast. Jason, tell the world a little bit about you. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jason Williams. I'm the general manager, associate waymaker here at Bengi Vineyards and Croy Estate Winery over in Sonoma. So the thing that jumped out to me, and I'd love your take on this, is right away, the way you open your show makes this show feel like an event. So talk to me about the show development process and how you tried to bottle that process up in the opening. There were, there were two aspects of creating this. And one is... Uh, listener experience, and then one is ease of production. So first on listener experience, we recognize that in many cases, you will listen to this podcast one off. Uh, You may not come back week over week over week over week, you might just listen to one. And so every time we wanted to reframe the context of what this is for you, really clearly. Uh, I think it's easy when you're running a recurring show just to kind of jump back in where you left off. And I think that works in many cases, but we weren't expecting our listener to behavior to necessarily work like that. And so we just wanted to make sure if you were a new listener, you got the gist right off the bat. So that's part of it. Second piece is ease of production. When we record this uh, one time and nail it just the way we want it every time, we can repeat it every time and we don't have to re-record. Uh, that makes total sense. I do think loyal listeners eventually will get fatigue and need some kind of like refresher to it. Uh, are you thinking about how you remix it or play with it at all? Or is it something you're just never going to think about again? Or how, like, what about the super fans? Yeah, so we're actually thinking about each uh, season of this show. So we've already started thinking about season two uh, thematically. And so we will switch it up in season two to kind of reflect the new theme we're looking at. Awesome. So what can you... Give us uh, an example, like what's season one's theme? What are you thinking about for season two or what's on the table at least? Sure. Yeah. So season one really was this idea of practice generally. And we talked to a lot of people who don't have traditional business jobs, kind of to introduce this idea of practice. Season two, we're going to lean specifically into the, or at least the plan right now, is to lean specifically into the idea of coaching. And so practice, you think about, you know, 
the players who show up and do it, but there's also coaches. And a lot of the people who we would imagine are our prospects are listening to this play a role of a coach. Uh, and so we wanted to specifically talk to coaches in season two. So we'll probably retool our intro and outro in the show to reflect that. I'm lighting up because I hear a lot of marketers say that they happen to pick something early and they just don't revisit it, which to me, yes, I understand that there's production concerns and time investment involved, but it also misses an opportunity to sort of tweak your show and not just make it better over time, but also point it at very specific problems and people that you're hoping to address and serve. So like you mentioned, coaches. Do you have a sense early on, I know you're still thinking about season two, but like what might be made easier or what might be different when you have a more focused theme versus a broad theme? Yeah, I think it makes it easier to pull out insights that our listeners can grab onto. I think practice is really fascinating, but one of the concerns we had about this show was, is it too broad? You know, if you're a sales manager or sales enablement leader who plays the role of driving practice for your sales team, it's wine too much of a stretch to really find actionable things. Uh, and, and we think we've kind of crafted a middle way that feels like you are getting some real value out of this. But right. coaching is even one level more specific to these people to say, hey, you know what Pete Carroll can teach you about coaching? Uh, that's really tactical. Those principles are really easy to apply to your job today. So yeah. becoming increasingly focused on the people who are listening. I also think about what you're able to do with the like IP you're developing. Like if you have a whole season on coaching, yes, I think the easy answer to getting mileage out of that and value out of that is you create, create blog posts and social media content and all that. that. That's a given, I think, in our day and age. A lot of marketing teams think that way. But you also get to think about, well, if I were to write like, a book about this. And I, I know your CEO, Max Yoder, has a great book out, uh, which I have and I've read and it's wonderful. And so like you guys think about that for your brand. If I were to write the book on coaching or if I were to write a guide to it, like what's the methodology? That what, what are the heuristics? What's like the phases of executing great coaching that we could tease out from this backlog of content and you become these evangelists for a certain style of coaching or better coaching? Like you start to be able to, uh, when you explore something specific deeply, you start to be able to really truly find first principles and help others access that in a way that like lights them up and is really hard to do when you have a very broad topic or a general season. Absolutely agree with you. You mentioned Do Better Work. I got the privilege to work with Max on that book and that launch and it's been an amazing thing for our business. And so I feel the same way about the opportunity we have to write about practice or coaching in the future. I, I yeah. agree with you. I've I think I want this to extend far beyond just snippets and blog posts, but to really put a stake in the stand that this is something we care about and can share that idea with the world. Let's talk a little bit about your experience as a host. So first of all, had you hosted a podcast before Practice First? I have, actually. Uh, I used to work for a nonprofit organization called Young Life. Uh, they're one of the largest nonprofits in the United States. And so I helped them launch and host one of their first podcasts. So that was about five years ago now. Had you hosted something with a co-host? Because you have Connor, who I believe is a Lesson League co-founder. Yeah, he's our president. Exactly. So um, he was employee number two here, uh, or the first employee, I guess. And uh, yeah, so I had worked with a co-host before. Um, and so I was excited and felt like it was important to have a co-host. I think the dynamic between co-hosts and 
Uh, just the diversity of questions that comes out of both of us being on. Connor asks questions I wouldn't have thought of that lead us to new places and vice versa. And so uh, I think co-hosting is invaluable. Yeah. W- one of the things I learned the hard way in a couple co-hosted projects is the value of assigning different roles. Like there's some complementary things that naturally occur, like to your point, Connor asks different questions than you ask, but then also having one person who's in charge of like pushing the agenda forward so you don't get too bogged down or, you know, one individual who's kind of like the table setter and speaks to the guest up front, gives context before you hit record. Like you have these divided roles which emerge naturally, but if you can set them up front, it becomes a lot easier to actually divvy up the work. We'll be right back with more, but first, a really quick note from our workshop alumnus, Matt McGee. I've listened to three clips pretty much since the beginning and have learned a ton. So it was definitely tempting to think that there wouldn't be much benefit to doing the workshop. But I'd make this analogy. If listening to three clips is like watching a cooking video on YouTube, then doing the workshop is like having the chef in the kitchen with you week after week after week. There's so much more depth in the workshop. You're not just listening to something, you're actively participating in the learning. You're getting your own specific questions answered. Also, you're learning from the questions and experiences that others have about their shows. It's really collaborative and really interactive, and that makes for a great learning environment. Enrollment is now open for our fall 2020 session. This is eight weeks of doing real work on your real show together. You can launch a new podcast or level up an existing show, all with one goal in mind. Make somebody's favorite podcast. You'll leave with a documented strategy, plus fully built and reviewed content, a repeatable system to keep learning and growing, and access to our alumni group where you'll keep in touch with both your cohort and meet some new peers who support and push you. Visit marketingshowrunners.com and click workshops at the top to enroll today. Let's go to clip number two. I mentioned before, this is where you talk to a sommelier. I think he also runs a vineyard. So it's a combination of those two things, I guess. And the only note you need if you're listening to this is that uh, we're going to move a little bit further into that same episode. So here's the clip. Could anyone become a master sommelier or is there some inherent talent or gift that the people that make it to that level just have that any level of practice is not going to get them there? I don't think just anybody can become a master sommelier unless you're, you're testing and retesting and you actually do have the resources and the access, right? If you look at the people who have become master sommeliers, most of them have an inside via a restaurant or they're running their own wine programs or they're on the winery side and the winery side supporting like, like uh, Mark Devere who worked for uh, Robert Mondavi. They supplied him with everything that he needed to become the master sommelier for Robert Mondavi. Mm. So it takes those resources, but it also takes fundamental talent. And the, the talent really is the ability to quickly associate a wine's character and find it and find where that belongs on the planet. It's, it's, it's difficult, man. But, you know, once you start tasting wines at a, at a breadth, thousands and thousands and thousands of wines, you can start kind of start start to get to where you're like, oh, yeah, that's Zinfandel from Australia. Or, oh, that's this or that's that you kind of catch on, but you have to have the olfactory piece of it and you got to have the cognitive piece to really quickly link that through. And I, I would think it'd be very difficult for just in any person to become a master sommelier. You really have to, 
you got to bear a certain passion and persistence. How do you come at the interviews? Did you have a broad structure? You know, it's like section A, we touch on these things. Section B, we touch on those things. Did you have a prep list of questions? How did you approach actually interviewing people now that you're moving into production? We do have a few key pillar questions, but we a lot of it really is conversation-led. We don't have sort of some grand uh, plan for each section of the interview or anything like that. I wish I was that intentional, but uh, we really just kind of follow where the interview leads us uh, with a few key questions that we send ahead of time so we know they've prepared a few things. What do you tell people before you hit record about this notion of practice, about the show's premise, about the audience? Like, What do they know ahead of time that maybe somewhere in the back of their mind, mid-conversation, they're like, oh, I should land this point I'm making to Ben and Connor by tying it back to the show. Like what, what's said before you hit record? Yeah, so we send a few questions as well as kind of an overview in the show in a calendar invite beforehand. And the way we bill it is we want to talk to you about how you practice in your work so we can learn how to practice in a more traditional nine to five business setting. And so with that framing of, you show us how you practice so we can learn how to practice. I think a lot of them are really thinking, okay, they're, they understand who the target market is. They understand that we need to make the connection between wine and Zooming every day. Uh, and so, well, A, they really have shown up with universal truths. And I think those ideas are universal. Those ideas about how to practice, whether that's you're cutting an onion over and over again, in the case of a chef, or you're shooting free throws over and over again, in the case of a basketball player, like you can find the, the patterns for you in sales uh, without us telling you. Our, uh, our managing editor at uh, Marketing Showrunners, Molly Donovan, she, you'll appreciate this, Ben, as somebody that you know, I know thinks strategically about content and brand building. Um, so Molly says that there's this rampant infantilization of the B2B audience going on. You know, how everybody you're writing to in a blog post when you're at a B2B organization or everybody you're speaking to on your podcast for your brand or, you know, the tone of voice and spelling things out for people. And, you know, it's inescapable the point you're trying to make. And here are the key takeaways at the very end. It's like everybody's being spoon fed exactly what the creator wants you to know. And I actually think that deadens some of the impact. You know, I mean, it's actually those moments where you don't spell it out, where you place two things that seem disparate and disconnected next to each other, where you bring out a story from outside the echo chamber, which is what you guys do. And then you place it before somebody, let it simmer, let it sit and, and kind of like take hold without spelling it out to them. And then they can go back to their work. And those ideas have this way of creeping back in, even though it's not, you know, like a printable list of steps that they have to move through. So I think especially in B2B, but in, in all the branded world, we're too quick to try and fill in all the spaces and all the gaps and not actually let people act like mature adults and think critically or absorb, you know, and, and that deadens our show's impact, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes down to trusting your listener that they are smart enough and can make their own connections. They know what we're trying to do and they can make their own connections to their work without us trying to guess and do it for them and getting it right for a percentage, but not getting it right for others. And we talked for a long time about either starting or ending or both each episode with Connor and I breaking down lessons from it. And the idea was, okay, you have this tangential example, say winemaking. How the heck do we make sure that a sales leader takes some lessons away from that? 
so we talked about this idea of should we hop on and do three lessons? And really at the end, after our first few episodes, we felt like they don't need us. <laughs> they, they get there without us to provide universal lessons. We don't need to jump back on and give our, our wrap up. And what we found in every episode so far is that nuggets like that just arise. Um, I think part of that is seeding them with the idea of the podcast and what we're trying to do ahead of time. So, you know, they're thinking in their heads, hey, this is for a business crowd. You know, they know we're trying to make connections. And so a lot of that just happens naturally. And so after the first few episodes, we just decided not to do our tags with lessons. It's funny because like, like I take a concentric circle view of marketing instead of a funnel view. So if the outermost circle in all these concentric circles is total strangers, uh, people that you think should know about your company and care about your content and buy your, your product or service, that's the outermost circle. They're total strangers. There's still people you'd like to help. Then the, the innermost circle is super fans. I think the job of the marketer is to start at the middle circle like the people who are casually aware of you or maybe even like you a little bit. And your whole focus should be to tighten that relationship towards the middle so they become fans. And then what happens is if you get this passionate audience of supporters, they will evangelize you to the outermost circles. And I think what ends up happening, both from a human perspective and a dollars and cents perspective, is we're doing the wrong thing. We're go we assume that we're capable of creating super fans and affinity and we're like, well, we got the podcast. We interview a bunch of experts. You know, we're good enough. We always hear from Bill. He seems to like it. So now we're going to go cold to these outermost strangers, which again is inefficient and very expensive and also makes no sense from a relationship standpoint. And so whether you believe in something like Kevin Kelly's Thousand True Fans or Seth Godin's Smallest Viable Audience, you know, we've heard time and time again that if you just really do something that a small group of people, whatever small would be for your context, that is still viable for your business, just serve them more deeply, you'll realize that the work is almost done. It's so hard for a marketer to get on board with that sometimes. But if we live and eat and breathe resonance and depth, the reach tends to come after that. Absolutely. And you know, part of that comes out of our market dynamics. We sell what could be called a learning management system, of which there are seven or 800 providers in the United States alone. And what we found over and over again is that people uh, can smell something different about our brand. And I think that depth or that humanity uh, really different differentiates us from the other 799 other LMSs who are kind of doing cookie cutter marketing to the exact same people. And so not only does that permeate our entire brand or our entire marketing go-to-market, but that's really what's uh, you can see lived out in the heart of this show. Final question about clip two before we move on to the next clip. When a show is new like this show was, how do you reach out to guests? Is it purely warm relationships or is there something else you're able to cite? You know, for example, maybe the belief system behind the show to, to align with a guest when you reach out to them. But how do you ensure that guests are excited when you really don't have this giant backlog of proof to lean on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're hitting the nail on the head. I was pretty worried about that right off the bat. And warm relationships came out of the woodwork. Really, we put out a, a call to the nearly 200 people who work at Lessonly and said, here's what we're doing. Does anyone have a connection? And they just started hitting my slack with one person after another who said, I know this person, I know this person. And 
these things just started to materialize. So we got really lucky this season in that we feel like uh, a lot of the people that came out of the woodwork right away were warm connections. As we look towards coaching in the next season and we kind of begin to elevate the show, uh, cold outreach is something we're going to need to get better at or we want to get better at because we have some big goals for people we'd like to have on the next season of the podcast. And so uh, still still figuring out how to do that well. But really right off the bat, you know, the idea of practice, I think, is something most people can relate to and they feel safe and comfortable coming on to talk about. So people have been really generous with their time. So let's go to clip number three, same episode. Um, we're talking to, and just to clarify, you said sommelier, he talked about owning a vineyard. Sounds like he does both. He grows and creates wine and sells it, but he's also a sommelier, correct? Yeah, he would definitely identify as a winemaker first, sommelier second, but uh, he's got a little of both. Okay, got it. So let's listen to the end of your episode. It's when you ask one of those questions you always have at the ready, which is, what would you like to practice next? So I love that. You you know, it's common to look towards the future at the end of a podcast episode with your guest. You use a question that's obviously right on on point with your show premise. And so here's what the guest said. You know, continuing to be an integral part of the wine industry and to advocate for, you know, practices that are sustainable, agriculturally sustainable, for products sustainable, you know, and, and doing things that are environmentally environmentally responsible. So I think changing that guard and changing that, that next generation and saying, yeah, let's keep our employees safe and let's also make some pretty kick-ass wine too. That's awesome. Well, hey, Jason, that's uh, I think a great way to send us out. Thanks for being on the Practice First podcast. Thanks for listening to Practice First, produced by LessonLing, where we help teams across the globe. Okay, so uh, I don't even have a question. I just have the need to really relate to someone else going through this as like I'm a podcaster and I just deal with this all the time, especially when you do interview shows. Ben, how hard is it to end an episode strong? Yeah, you know, it really, (laughs) it's really hard to figure out where to land. And actually what we've decided to do is we've standardized that last question. Uh, It's a little bit an homage to the Guy Raz ending, how I built this pretty much the same way every time. But um, so the question we ask is basically, what do you want to practice next in your life? Uh, and people have some really phenomenal answers. Some of them are, are aligned with the piece of the episode. Uh, so, you know, we had an Olympian skier on and she said, you know, I'm training for my next Olympics. But other people have really gone into personal, meaningful things about their life that they want to practice next. And so it's been this really powerful question that we loved ending with kind of right off the get-go and decided to continue for the whole season. When you think about the first season of the show and heading into season two, um, I, I guess I have to ask you, what's something you'd like to practice more? Yikes, got me there. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> Turned it around on you. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, well, I'll do two things. One is specific to this show. Uh, specific to this show, I'd like to ask tighter questions. I think Connor and I kind of meander through our questions sometimes. And we actually had one guest call us out. She was like, well, you just asked me three questions. So why don't you re-ask one at a time? <laughs> uh, we cut that in editing. But that was good feedback mid-episode from a guest. Uh, and so that's probably one thing is just really tightening up how we ask questions uh, and making sure we're clear there from a from a production standpoint, uh, personally, what do I want to practice next? Uh, I'm really excited to figure out 
what kind of the next season of growth looks like at Lessonly. In my day job, aside from podcast production, I work in demand gen, and we're really trying to figure out what the next stage of growth looks like as a company. And that's going to mean reinventing ourselves again as a company. And so uh, I'm trying to figure out how that means Lessonly <laughs> marketing needs to totally change to kind of address the next stage of growth. So I'm excited about that. Where, where do you think the show can most improve between seasons? Um, I think the probably the thing that I would be most interested in improving is differentiating thematically between episodes. So right now, we largely rely on our guests' background to differentiate the episode. So, hey, you're a sommelier, you're a basketball player, you're a skier. That really creates the unique flavor to each episode. But as we head into season two and we start to talk about coaches, I think we're going to need to differentiate episodes by ideas more so than uh, their jobs. Does that make sense? So we might have one episode that's themed around feedback and one episode that's themed around hard conversations uh, as opposed to just you coach basketball and you coach a band or something like that. Right. Well, the danger in that, I think, is... You know, if, if it's based on the name of the guest, let's say you did the standard industry insider guest show where all the names, especially the early names, because you're going to reach out to the biggest influencers are recognizable to your audience. What happens in addition to the show being similar to lots of other shows is that over time, your show inevitably gets worse if that's all you stick to because you run out of the big names. And then second is you don't really get that. Again, the brand IP thing like you can't really rip out an underlying methodology like how does one practice we are going to have some kind of teaching model for that or philosophy about that you you just kind of like rehash ideas that are already in the market from these people with books and big platforms and then when you have the show that's based on guests outside the echo chamber so now switching gears and focusing on your show i do think you're right it's like if i already love this show I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You can run any guest at me and I'll be like, I don't care because I listen to the show, not the guest. But to your point, a lot of people cherry pick. They listen to one-offs or just their favorites. Maybe they're in the feed on their app and they're like deleting the things that you know quickly don't seem relevant to them because they're overwhelmed by how many other shows they have to listen to too. So giving them that like lead reason to care, which is more like thematic than it is guest related, I think is brilliant because... You're evolving into a show that has a firm point of view on the topic as a way to serve the audience. And the guest is there to do the exact same thing. They're not there because you're like, I want a big guest. You're there because, hmm, Ben, you should come on because I think you can speak to this problem or this theme. And together, we care about the audience first. Absolutely. And I think that takes the pressure off a guest-driven show where... You're constantly on the rat race for the next biggest name and you're panicking if you don't have it. We think some of these ideas are so, some of the best practicers are not the biggest names. And so we want to be talking to those people about ideas that matter more so than chasing the big names. We'd still love to have Brad Stevens on our podcast as a coach. So Brad, if you're listening, please contact us. But uh, big names are great, but the ideas matter more. Little known fact, a lot of NBA players listen to this show and their coaches. So we're in good shape. We'll get you, Brad, no problem. Um, Perfect. Ben, thanks so much for coming on. Happy to do it. Thanks for listening. Every time you do, you support independent creators trying to earn a living through their art. If you like that idea or this show, tell a friend about us, won't you? 
This episode was hosted, written, and produced by me, Jay Akunzo. And our original theme music is by the band Cardboard Rocket Ship, an independent folk band in New York City. Check them out on Spotify. If you're a podcaster or an aspiring podcaster and you'd like to use your show to level up somehow your brand, your career, the community cause that you have for your audience, I hope you'll explore marketingshowrunners.com. Our mission is to help more people find and share their voices and make a difference in the shows they create. Our next workshop, the Showrunner Sessions, kicks off September 7th, 2020. This fall cohort is filling up fast. We're really excited about it. It's actually a a newer initiative that we're doing in 2020, and we're going to plan to keep it going in 2021, but prices will go up from here. So if you're interested, head over to marketingshowrunners.com and click the workshop tab at the very top. Enrollment is open now and closes at the end of August. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe this work we do is not about who arrives. It's about serving those who stay. So thank you for staying with me. And I'll talk to you on the next episode of Three Clips. See ya. For me personally, I started the program uh, with an idea that was pretty run of the mill. And through workshopping the idea with Jay and others in the program, I was able to to really uh, start a podcast that that I'm really passionate about building and, and pursuing. And Jay is a he, he's a true craftsman, and Showrunner Sessions teaches you the craft of building an audience, um, not just building a podcast, but but how to build an audience. And that's the stuff that people say you can't teach. But through this program, I, I feel much more confident in my abilities to go do it, and uh, feel well equipped to continue improving on my my podcast for years to come. So, absolutely, sign up for the program. It's it's awesome. Visit marketingshowrunners.com and click workshops to learn more about the next cohort of the Showrunner Sessions. Mm-hmm.